I'm Chadwick Matlin, and this is Podcast 19. Anna Rothschild is out this week, which means you're stuck with me. And because I don't have years of experience as a science journalist, I only edit the people who do, the show is going to be a little less expansive than usual this week. That means no anecdotes about naked people lounging in windowsills and no good news segment at the end of the show. But we do have a great conversation for you about face masks, whether they're effective, why our thinking on them has evolved, and what to look for when buying one for yourself. Maggie Kurth and Kaylee Rogers, two of 530's reporters on the COVID-19 beat, join me to share what they've learned about how the science supporting the use of face masks has changed. That is, if it's changed at all. Okay, Maggie and Kaylee, I have brought you here to answer a question that's on lots of people's minds and has sort of become a political flashpoint, which is what is going on with face masks right now? I feel like at the beginning of this pandemic, face masks were sort of like a, they weren't a necessity that we were told that, yeah, they might help, but it might do just as much damage as they help because people might touch their face more often because they have a face mask on. And yet now it seems, at least to me, that face masks are seen as though they are an, one of the greatest tools an individual has to prevent community spread. And so what changed or did anything change? <laughs> so I've been talking to researchers about this because I had done a story back in March where we had sort of come to the conclusion that there just wasn't that much data on the effectiveness of masks at all. And because of that, you were kind of left in this limbo where there was just enough information that different scientists could sort of layer their personal experience and their personal biases on top of it and come to completely different conclusions about what the data meant. And in a lot of ways, we're still kind of in the same place. You know, there has been more research done, but not a great deal. And almost all of it is still sort of focused on taking these materials that you would use for masks, putting them in some kind of laboratory setting where you are spraying aerosols at them and sort of seeing what happens. And those studies seem to kind of end up having a big range of outcomes. So you have some that suggest that, oh, there's really, really great protectiveness to you know, homemade face masks and others that are like, eh, you got like, you know, 12% of the things caught. The results are not consistent from study to study. And so it becomes really easy to cherry pick and it becomes really hard to say things definitively. Yeah, the number of studies that have come out trying to look at like whether on a population level, masks make a difference um, are all observationals or reviews of observational studies. And so trying to do some kind of randomized control trial, which would give us good data on this, uh, is like not possible in the middle of a pandemic, you know, where we have people social distancing and we're not trying to get people infected. So it's uh, it's really difficult to get good data on it. Uh, based on what we have so far, it seems like there's some evidence that it helps to some degree, and that's basically as precise as we can get right now. That seems to be good enough for the World Health Organization and the CDC to now switch and start recommending that people wear face coverings of some kind. I think it's important to point out that the sort of 
fear of behavioral backfiring from wearing a mask. Like, oh, if you're wearing a mask, you're not going to social distance. Or, oh, if you're wearing a mask, you're going to touch your face more often. Or you're going to be in, just decide that there's no problem with being anywhere that would be high risk. Um, you know, those aren't based on really solid evidence either. And when the National Academies put out a rapid expert consultation back in April, uh, one of the people who was an editor on that told me that the original draft of it that was turned into him had the whole section that was kind of all about these concerns, but they didn't really have anything backing them up. So they kind of had to switch it around to being like, well, some scientists are speculating that this might be an issue. I think that's an important thing to clarify also. I will say that when I have talked to scientists who don't think that masks are very effective and who are worried that we are putting too much trust in masks to solve the coronavirus problem, their solution is not that, oh, you don't need to wear masks because they don't work. Their solution is, oh my God, stay in your house. That's social distancing is the best thing that we have. Right. And on the flip side, the scientists I've spoke to that are sort of championing face masks basically say the same thing. You know, they're like face masks, sure, but social distancing is what we know works. That is step one. And then face masks can be an, an added layer on top of that for times when you cannot avoid being around other people, like when you have to go grocery shopping, for example. So it kind of sounds like there's an agreement there then, Kaylee. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And just a reminder for folks about what we think masks might be good for. It's not for what I'm inhaling. It's for what I might be exhaling or when my viral load comes spewing out, right? Right. So if you think about how the virus is transmitted through these respiratory droplets that come out of your mouth and nose, that's one area that you can block off and hopefully prevent or or reduce the amount of these droplets that are being put out into the atmosphere, put onto other people, put onto surfaces and, and spreading the virus that way. There's a chance that, that masks might help prevent some of those things from being inhaled by you as well from other people. Uh, but when you think about all the different transmission routes that you could have, so it, you know, those droplets landing on your skin, on your hands, maybe you touch your eyeball, maybe you touch a surface. There's a whole bunch of more transmission routes to getting into you than there are for getting out, which is basically your nose and your mouth. Um, so that's why these masks are really kind of more, uh, you, you know, you wear one for other people and they wear one for you. And I think like one thing that's important to add here is that there's probably not a single right solution for everybody. Like one of the challenges of public health is that you're trying to make these big, broad recommendations and, you know, people's individual risk and benefits are probably not going to be broadly applied that way. That's something that um, Marcella Nunez-Smith, who's a scientist at Yale, was making a point that she was making to me because one of the things she was pointing out was that, you know, she knows a lot of people in black and brown communities who are concerned about the risk from wearing a mask in terms of like what that does to their physical safety around police officers and what that does to their physical safety in communities if people, you know, if if white people, if store owners are looking at them and seeing them as more of a danger because their faces are covered. And that's something we have to kind of have to take into account. You know, different people are going to have different risks and benefits and they won't be the same across the board. 
So then what I'm hearing you guys say is that maybe too much has been made, for example, of the governors who have not originally allowed mayors in their state to require masks in their city. That essentially that's been seen as a sort of an ignorant act, according to those who support um, face masks as a as a as a way to prevent the spread of coronavirus. What I'm hearing you guys say is, well, maybe it's actually doing some harm to not have a requirement about face masks. But also, it's not as clear as, as perhaps the, the more hardline people are making it out to be. So I think this is a tough one to really parse because you have like these two layers, right? You've got like the scientific layer and the politicized layer. And they interact and they make each other messier. And like one of the women that I talked to, who's a researcher that I actually spoke to in my previous story, she still doesn't think that there's solid evidence to that is convincing to her that the benefits of mask wearing are outweighing any risks. But she's also still wearing a mask everywhere she goes. And like to her, the there is an importance to showing other people that she cares about their health, even if she doesn't think it's necessarily doing anything to help their health like it's it it's all very tangled up in these expectations and understandings and like symbolism that we've attached to this thing regardless of what the data actually shows around it and it's also important to have the context of what other measures are in place in those states are they enforcing strict social distancing or is it everything gone back to normal and also you don't have to wear a mask which I, I don't think anyone would think is a great idea right now. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the, you know, one of these other researchers I spoke to, she, her kind of perspective on this was that ventilation might make an even bigger difference than masks and that being inside is a really huge deal. And so if you are going to be opening back up your, your economy, that you need to be placing a bigger emphasis on fewer people inside, better ventilation inside, maybe even like individual floor level um, air purifiers, you know, that kind of stuff. And nobody's really doing that. So it's not like, again, it's not, it comes back down to like, it's not like the solution to maybe masks aren't as effective as we think they are is don't wear, don't do anything. And so then what I'm hearing you guys say is there's no way to say, well, New York, after it started imposing social distancing and masks, you know, has has really dropped in the number of cases and, and hospitalizations, whereas other places that have social distancing but have been slower to require mask usage are booming, let's say. Like, you can't do that easy one-to-one comparison is what I'm hearing you say. So it's funny you bring that up because there was actually a, a paper that was published in PNAS last week that a number of researchers have said should probably be retracted. It tried to make these comparisons. But there's just not a one-to-one comparison to make, really. And it was making a lot of assumptions about the data that we can't really make at this point. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, those kinds of comparisons are not uh, possible at this point. Everything is just too different um, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Okay, so before we get to sort of practical advice about what people should be looking for when they buy masks, if they, if, if they plan to, and it sounds like we're sort of saying buy the mask, wear the mask, because that's what 
it can't hurt, and it, there's some evidence that it works. But I am curious about where does that leave us? Maybe this is more a philosophical question, but where does that leave us in whether or not people should be wearing masks? Well, that kind of gets down to that's not a scientific question anymore, right? Like that's a philosophical question. And some of the scientists that I have spoken to are like, yeah, absolutely. We should 100% just be wearing the masks because there's probably some benefits. So let's go ahead and get that benefit. And there are other scientists I've been talking to that are like, well, I mean, it's fine. But if we're doing that in lieu of things that seem like they might be better, then that's not fine. Um, so, I mean, it's it's one of those situations where data can tell you something, but it doesn't necessarily tell you what to do. That's a really good point. And it is fascinating to see how the sort of public perception and, and thinking around this has shifted so quickly. You know, early on, I think one of the concerns was not only could this be more harmful than than beneficial, but also, you know, there was a, a shortage of, of personal protective equipment and people were thinking, whatever we got should go to the front lines and everyone else should stay home. And now we're in a slightly better place on that front. And also there's sort of a, a surplus of homemade masks uh, or masks available for purchase that are sort of cloth. And so we're in a different scenario now where we can make different decisions, even if the scientific data hasn't necessarily shifted. Okay, so if people are buying a mask, and there are so many different places to buy masks right now, there's homemade, there's Disney branded, there's um, there's disposable, there's stuff that they're using in hospitals, there's stuff with vents. It seems really hard to know what to do as a consumer. And so, Kaylee, I know you've been doing some reporting on this that people can read on the website. Uh, what should people be looking for? Right. So as Maggie mentioned, there has been some actual studies done uh, looking at different materials for masks in a lab setting. And so that's where we're getting the data we have now. It's it's not super robust, but we've got some basic understanding. And it seems from the experts I spoke to have been looking at this, that the type of material itself, like a specific cotton polyester blend or something is not as important as the quality of it. And so what you're really looking for is something that is breathable, because if it's too hard um, to breathe through, your air is just going to be forced out the sides and the top. And that's going to cause those particles to leave your mask anyway, which completely defeats the purpose. So you want something breathable. And then it's just a matter of quality of fabric. So you want something that's a little thicker, a little more tightly woven so that it's actually able to physically trap those particles that can carry the virus and spread to other people. Maggie, I know your mom sent you untold number of masks when she was concerned in the beginning of the pandemic about about you and your family. Do you think she was taking those guidelines into account? I don't think that she was necessarily looking at it that scientifically, but I know she was trying out a lot of different mask designs, trying to find ones that fit the best and were the most comfortable to wear and kind of gave you the most options. So like I have masks from her that are little one tight style she gave me is like little pleats folded down to get like multiple layers of fabric around your mouth. Another style is like blanket flannel, you know, like that fuzzy blanket flannel on the inside and then cotton on the outside. Another one is cotton, but then it has a pocket that you can slide some other kind of filtering material into it. Like she just tried a whole bunch of different things and I don't know necessarily that there's like any kind of scientific data to show which one of those is better than others. But 
you know, she was definitely experimenting. Yeah, but Kayla, you found that that even something might be better than nothing, no matter if it's the perfect blend, right? Exactly, yeah. So even in those studies that found, you know, some of them, you know, only block 12% of particles or something, that's still 12% fewer particles than if you weren't wearing a mask at all. So if you're concerned, if you're so concerned that you're just not wearing a mask, then it's probably better to just use what you have, wear something. Um, and if you want to get the, the best possible protection that you can, uh, you can do a little more research and try to find something that, as I said, has this higher quality fabric, two or three layers, breathable, snug to your face, and you, you should be good to go. The fit is something that I've heard people talk a lot about being an important part of this. Kaylee, have you, did you find much about this in your research? Because I know that when scientists have talked to me like one of their concerns is that you know people don't know how to fit these things right on their faces and that stuff is going to just kind of come out the sides yeah exactly so the the sort of rule of thumb that i got from the researchers here and as well as the cdc is that you want it basically like as snug as is still comfortable for your face um you know something like an n95 is sealed to your face like they get those fitted to be basically airtight and you're not going to be able to achieve that with a cloth mask that you make yourself but if you can get it more snug than than loose it's going to be able to trap more of those particles they're not going to be escaping out the sides or the front um just basically understanding how the virus is spread through these respiratory droplets that come out of your mouth and nose and can carry the virus within them uh, it's helpful to, to be able to picture that because then you, you understand that that's what you're trying to stop. And if there's a big gap on the side waving open and every time you open your mouth, stuff is coming out the side, it's really kind of defeating the purpose of the mask to begin with. The, the particulate stuff I think is so interesting because there's been some studies where they've looked at like the fluid dynamics of air movement through a space and I think it was a restaurant in Guangzhou in China where some of the people that were there got infected and some didn't. And in modeling the fluid dynamics of the air, what they were basically seeing was that you had this air conditioning unit pushing air across this one section of tables. And then it kind of like billowed up against the wall and sort of came back down around. So you had a lot of infections in this one space where the air was getting like shoved right through and then other parts of the restaurant, like no infections at all. Right. And I've even seen some research looking at whether... um sort of like an electromagnetic charge, like a static charge in certain fabrics can help prevent the droplets from spreading because they have moisture in them. Um, and they suggest like rubbing a nylon, like a nylon stocking against your mask before wearing it to like build up some electricity. Th that's, I think that's taking it a bit further than we need to go. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's understanding that, the, that this is the actual transmission route is through these droplets and any way that we can prevent those from getting into each other's eyes and noses uh, is going to help prevent the spread. Ideally from just not being around each other. Okay, Maggie Cayley, as ever, I've based most of my understanding of what to do during this crisis based on your reporting, and I think you've helped yet again me understand what to do with masks and, and hopefully listeners as well. So thanks so much for coming on Podcast 19. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Podcast 19. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the show, email us a voice memo at askpodcast19 at gmail.com. That's askpodcast19 at gmail.com. 
I'm Chadwick Matlin. Our producer is Jake Arlo. And thankfully, Anna should be back next week. I, for one, am excited to slink back into the shadows. <laughs> 